Another pot of coffee is brewing. My third cup is almost finished. Yeah, still trying that health kick. <laughs> so that means it's time for Not Before Coffee. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, TV show marathoner, film addict, hermit, long-term depression sufferer, and very honest caffeine fee. It seems as though I am unintentionally creating a bit of tradition when it comes to the first few episodes of a season. The second episode of season one was all about Lucifer, season five, part A. And here I am with the second full episode of season two. And what am I talking about? But Lucifer, season five, part B. It's been nearly a year. Okay, nine months since the first part of this season premiered over on Netflix, which means that it might be worth a little refresher before we get started on the second. Though I've said it before, and I will no doubt say it every single week, I am not here to spoil a show for you, especially if it's brand new. I want you to go and enjoy it for yourself. What I will be talking about here is character development, how the episodes made me feel, and perhaps a little summary of what the season was about, at least as far as I was concerned. In case you're in need of a little bit of a refresher though, here it is. Lucifer was in hell. He came back, only initially it was actually his evil twin brother Michael, who has been jealous of him for some unknown reason, for forever, rather than Lucifer. So yes, two Tom Ellis's for the price of one. When we left our heroes and villains, they were at the police precinct, and Menadiel, Michael and Lucifer were fighting. Only, like any recalcitrant children, they were stopped by the appearance of their father. Though in that brief moment before the credits roll, you don't see a face, just a bright light. On the 28th of May 2021, so as I'm recording this last Friday, the second part of season five dropped on Netflix in its entirety. And though I had the day off work, I decided that it was a day to be productive with my writing. So I was disciplined and instead of watching all eight episodes in quick succession, I managed to hold out for a full 24 hours before sitting down on Saturday and watching it all without a break. The current episode cycle started exactly where the last one left off. We're in the police precinct. Amenadiel has frozen time. Michael and Lucifer are fighting. And God appears at the top of the stairs. I'm not sure what it is exactly about actors like Morgan Freeman and Dennis Haysbert. Yes, he who played the president in 24. But they have the voice and the presence to make the perfect God. From this point, the storyline develops. In part 5a, the rest of the gang finally discovered the truth about Lucifer and who he is. So a portion of each episode is spent with Ella and Dan processing what they now know. Of course, Ella is also processing the fact that the man she was falling in love with and slept with turned out to be a brutal murderer. Dan is still grieving for Charlotte and processing the fact that not only was she actually briefly possessed by Lucifer's mother, but she was also married to God. 
And of course, Mazakine is still trying desperately to come to grips with her position in things, everything that she learned about her mother, and of course, her desire for a soul. Strangely, Chloe, who at the very beginning of season five, was gifted with the knowledge that she was designed as a gift from God for his son Lucifer, has seemingly just bounced back from all of that and a kidnapping with no visible at least, issues. I have to be honest here, given how the first part of season five ended, I went into this with incredibly high expectations. Seriously, I've been looking forward to this since they aired season 5A and I've been asking myself pretty much every week since, when's the next part going to air? Because they left it at such a point. I wanted... No, actually, scrap that. I needed this to be as good as what had come before it. I don't think that there is a single episode of Part 5A that I was disappointed in. And given how it ended, and how long we had to wait to get closure on how it ended, I was expecting something incredible. So, is incredible what we were given? It's taken me a couple of days of processing to figure out how I'm going to talk about this part of the season without either giving away an absolute mountain of spoilers or sounding like a whiny child who didn't get the Christmas present they wanted. But in all honesty, I was disappointed. God arrives on the scene and I expect anger and angst and vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Instead, I get this weird meal that's filmed by someone who got inspiration from the 1980s Roseanne credits and a load of, but dad, it's not fair, whining from Lucifer and his psycho greasy twin Michael. I do have to say that the way Tom Ellis manages to play both brothers and ensure that despite them having the same face, well, duh, they're both played by the same actor, idiot. You could always tell who was who. Michael with his greasy hair and somehow really sleazy looking exterior versus Lucifer with his polished ways and sleekly styled suits. Though that accent, oh my God. Good grief, who told him that the nasal American twang was a good one? Also, out of curiosity, why is Lucifer the only brother who has an English accent? Seriously, better not to overthink it, Ray. Seriously, don't overthink it. Did I mention that we also get a musical episode in this part of the season? No? Oh, well, we get a musical episode in season 5B. We've both seen and heard Tom Ellis testing his vocal and piano skills for the last 75 episodes. And in episode 10 of season 5, or rather the second episode of the most recent batch released, we get to hear everyone in the cast doing the same. Rather than having brand new material written for the show, however, we get slightly altered renditions of... Songs like Queen's Another One Bites the Dust, which is very appropriate, if you ask me, given that when they sing it, they're at a murder scene. 
We also get a bad to the bone and no scrubs mashup courtesy of Ella and Mazakeen. And Every Breath You Take by The Police is performed by guest star Debbie Gibson and Tom Ellis. It's creepy AF though, to be fair, because she's singing it to her son. Ignoring the fact that I always find this type of episode cringeworthy, sorry to anyone who hasn't heard my countdown episode, but in that I go into the reasons why the musical episode of Buffy is one of my least favourite ever. This episode was just average. Amy Garcia and Tom Ellis both have really good voices and they get to prove their skills again at a later point. But for the rest of them, it's clear that this isn't where their strengths lie. And that is just one of my problems with musical episodes in shows where acting is the main purview. Anyway, it turns out that God is at the root of all these musical numbers He's almost like a child playing with his toys. And as much as I love Dennis Haysbert, this particular version of God feels really wishy-washy. In the musical episode, we get another brief glimpse of Trixie. She did a went-into-my-bedroom moment at some point, and though she is still played by Scarlett Estevez, she's now a tween with braces and a lot more attitude. She even steals her mum's handcuffs and uses them to restrain another student at school, which gets her suspended. And to be fair, I, I think that's not a bad punishment. I find it really frustrating that in almost every single show, they use the same kind of reasoning behind a child doing something bad. He was being mean to another kid, so I told him I would stop him or some such. Almost as though they are trying to get people to believe that punishment is never necessary. In some cases it is. This child stole something and restrained someone against their will on school premises. So she was punished. As she should be. I know that I previously mentioned how irritating and weak certain characters were during the first part of the season. Especially Dan, whose moping around had me reaching for the wine. Seriously, in 5B, he is almost back to full strength. Sure, he still has pictures of Charlotte on his desk and is very focused on her still, up to the point where he apologises to God for sleeping with his wife, which gets him momentarily exploded. Though, of course, he is put back together again. However, he is now back with little bits of humour. Of course, he does have something else to focus on in that he now knows the truth about Lucifer, Amenadiel and Mazakeen. We even get a full episode devoted to Dan, which I think is great because he was so underused in 5A, I didn't think he was necessary to the show at all. His episode is hilariously funny and there are so many moving parts and at certain points, it does feel pretty serious. When the whole plot and its purpose is revealed, it feels as though you've been watching something with many similarities to one of my favourite films from the early 80s, Clue. Dan really gets his chance to shine in this episode, which is appropriately titled Dan Espinosa, Naked and Afraid. 
It could quite easily be the title of a stand-up show or something, but instead is just an episode completely focused on him, his development, his issues, and gives us an insight into who he now is. Of course, with the good comes the bad, and this is where I struggle. I really wanted to like the changes that the discoveries in the first part of the season wrought, but for some reason, I just really struggled. Ella, who I have loved since she was introduced, seems to have lost her spark in this part of the season. She is less luminous and more dark and depressed. Yes, there is a darkness about her from the very beginning. Seriously, she works as a coroner and that in itself is not the brightest or most pleasant of job roles. But in this part of the season, we see the darkness much closer to the surface. She's embracing it, and while that's not a bad thing for a person to do in reality, she was a bright spot in the darkness, and now she's just another dark spot who is spreading doom and gloom. It's disheartening to see that she lost the glow and sparkle that made her who she was. Amenadiel, on the other hand, shows himself to be a total dick. Yeah, there I said it. As soon as he discovers that his son with Linda, Charlie, is immortal, he is devastated. But then he starts to pull apart the reasons why this is dreadful. We're better than mortals, he tells Linda, who is herself immortal. Okay, I should probably also add in here. Spoiler. Minor one, though. God is on earth because he is afraid he is losing control of his powers. Cue some conversation about self-actualization and free will here. And he is now looking for the son who will be his replacement when he retires. And this, my kindly listeners, is why Amenadiel has become this almighty dick. He is, for some reason, certain that he is the only person who can take on his father's mantle. Of course, Lucifer isn't going to let things go without a fight, and neither is the slimy toad that is Michael, though, to be fair, we don't actually see him for a very large portion of these eight episodes. One thing I can say about Lucifer's character is that he is nothing if not predictable. For him, pretty much everything since the word go has been about Chloe Decker, and this is no different. He honestly believes that he needs to prove himself worthy of the love she keeps on telling him she feels for him. And he knows deep down, though personally I think he's misguided, that the only way to do that is to earn his father's approval. And to do that, he needs to become God. Everything about this season is about proving his worth to Chloe. Whether it's through solving crimes with her caring, and I will use that term incredibly loosely, for his father, or becoming God himself. I have said that I am not going to spoil things, and I promise I won't, though (laughs) that does actually make it just a little bit harder to talk about what happens. That being said, it does make it easier to look at the season as a whole and determine what I did and didn't like about it. What I loved. Mazakeen. I am not sure why, but whenever she's around, things just get done. 
She's incredibly honest about her motivation for everything. For all that she's a demon, many of her emotions are incredibly human or ones that we would personally identify as human. Maybe they are demonic. Anger, frustration, envy, love. She knows what she wants and she will do whatever she can to get it. She has some of the lighter moments in this season, but at the same time, she also had some of the incredibly emotional ones too. God being set up on a date with Chloe's mum, exploding Dan when his powers got the best of him, being a proud dad and having multiple proud dad moments that ended up almost getting him killed. The Dan-focused episode. This was so cleverly done and until the very end of it you aren't completely aware of exactly what's happening which makes it all the more exciting because I liked that mystery that shroud of mystery that it came with the songs chosen for the musical episode sure I've already made it clear how I feel about musical episodes and this one was really cringeworthy at least to me but the inclusion of songs by Queen, TLC and The Police, to name just a few of them, was absolutely great. It really was. Linda, that poor woman, being told by her partner that as a mortal she is inferior, while still being the person everyone confides everything in. And then finally meeting up with the daughter she gave up for adoption. This isn't a spoiler because it is mentioned several seasons ago as a teen and she still carries on being light and happy and doesn't punch a menadeal in the face <laughs> i would have been able to resist that one what i didn't like ella i hate that i'm saying this and i know that her character had plenty of reasons to change but was now the right time to bring that darkness into play I can't help but feel that this was not the right time. If they were going to do something with this, it should have been when she revealed that she often sees the angel of death. She is normally the one who lightens and brightens, sort of like a, a loose of a highlighter, if you will. The fact that the cases, yes, I have said it before and I will say it again, I do love procedurals started to play a negligible second fiddle to the bigger storyline. Initially, Lucifer's problematic relationship with his father and latterly his desire to win the role of God. Sounds like he was trying out for the school play, if you ask me. It started to feel as though the cases were merely used as a way to lead back to the main story arc. Because all of a sudden we have cases that are doing nothing but drawing parallels with Lucifer's current situation, whatever that happens to be. They were resolved really quickly as well, which was disappointing. As though they were being pushed aside so we could get back to the whole God is retiring plot line. There was another plot I really didn't like, but I am not going to talk about it now as it is a huge spoiler that I don't want to give away to those who have yet to see season 5b. I've already mentioned that I felt Chloe was taking everything incredibly well. She seems to have accepted that she was a gift for Lucifer created by God and that Lucifer is the devil 
and she even starts to accept the fact that Lucifer has decided he wants to be God. But what does that mean for her as a character? To be honest, not that much. She carries on with her every day as though everything is normal, that she's not sleeping with the devil and hasn't told him that she is in love with him, ignoring the fact that he has already told her he can't say it back. To be honest, she has started to just blend in. I know that she's hugely important in the scheme of things, but if she'd been replaced with Linda or Ella or anyone else, the outcome would be the same. Is that awful? Trixie, I have said this before and I will probably say it again, but Trixie has gone from appearing in pretty much every episode, even if only for a few moments, to appearing in a couple of episodes a season and then only briefly. It's as though the fact that she's grown up has complicated things for the writers and they just aren't sure what to do with her. She's no longer the cute little five or six-year-old with curls and naivety. She's a preteen with braces, a much better understanding of the world. And even the song she sings to her mother during the musical episode, which is Smile, shows an awareness of the world around her that little Trixie never had. She befriended Lucifer when she wasn't aware of who and what he was, but now there's a knowledge there that she can't get rid of. I think that the writers would have actually been better off having her go off to boarding school or something so that she is mentioned in passing but never appears because it really does feel awkward whenever she's on the screen through no fault of hers. I feel I really need to stress this point. This is nothing to do with the actress. This is 100% down to the writers having no clue what to do with her character. I have to be honest and say that I was disappointed in this part of the season. Probably partially due to the fact that we had to wait nine full months for it. And there was such a strong lead up to the second part of the season. We waited ages, the promos were great teasers and the final moments of episode eight were so incredible that in my mind at least there was no way what they presented to us was going to be in any way rubbish. I think it's fair to say that it wasn't unreasonable of me to expect great things from the recently released episodes, especially as when they originally started work on the season, it was meant to be the last. I have to say that parts of this did feel like it was headed for closure, and I'm not sure quite where they can take it, given how things have now ended. Also, I think it's realistic to say that we are going to be in for a very long wait, despite the fact that they have apparently already started filming season six. <laughs> if this year is anything to go by, though, we'll probably be watching the final episodes at some point in 2023. I really wanted to enjoy this. I really did, having waited for it for so long. But when it comes down to it, this part felt just a little bit rushed, which it possibly could have been courtesy of the pandemic, because that seems to have an effect on everything. The show 
has a collection of incredibly strong characters and some really talented actors. There was the opportunity to make season 5 be so powerful, especially when you take into account the lead-in that it was given. But for some reason, it just fell short. Watching Ella fall apart, Lucifer acting like a spoilt child who wasn't getting his own way when it came to wanting his dad's attention, and witnessing the multiple moments where God played at being the awkward, proud dad, I keep on coming back to how many times in this half season I cringed. And I think it actually reached an almost incalculable figure. That's not to say that the whole thing was 100% bad or good. I wish there was just more of a balance but there were a couple of really good episodes in amongst all the uncomfortable moments. As always, the soundtrack was strong, but then this is something that I've never had to give much thought to when it comes to Lucifer. It always does really well with the music. Even the musical episode doesn't disappoint. Though I will add that listening to D.B. Woodside rap is not an experience I want repeated in a hurry. There are always questions that I ask myself when I watch anything, especially when it's done for the podcast. Despite having already done an episode on Lucifer previously and establishing the fact that it is something I enjoy, I am still going to ask them, did I enjoy it? As you would have heard, not as much as I wanted to. There was so much potential, but for some reason it fell short of what I'd anticipated. Having spoken to my mum, she loved it. She thought it was amazing. So I'm not sure if it was just me. It truly felt as though they put thought into it. And then when the show got renewed for season six unexpectedly, they had to stretch it out and change things up so that the perfect ending they had wasn't wasted. Will I watch it again? I will likely re-watch the last episode, perhaps the last two, before I watch season six, especially if the gap's anything like this one, because I won't be skipping season six due to the fact that the latter part of season five wasn't what I'd hoped for. The season ended on a point that can lead to so much, and I am really curious to see what they decide to do with what they've laid out as a foundation. How would I recommend this to someone who's never seen it? Seriously, someone's never seen it? If you love comic book adaptations and enjoy the work of Neil Gaiman, then you're onto a winner with this TV series based on the DC comic book. Tom Ellis has been perfectly cast as the suave and sophisticated owner of the nightclub Lux, who just happens to be Lucifer Morningstar, the devil. The first few seasons are using the popular but still incredibly fun, at least to me, procedural formula where solving a crime is the first order of the day with romance and secret identities the second. So if any of that is your thing, then give Lucifer a go. Right now, the first few seasons are in limbo, at least in the UK. They were previously available on Amazon Prime, but as of the 28th of May, seasons one and two were both removed. The fact that seasons one through three were made by Fox, which is now owned by Disney, could mean that those first seasons are headed to Disney+. Plus. However, 
as Netflix owns the rights to the latter seasons, some kind of deal could be in the process of being made. Maybe. <laughs> Only time will tell. So, there it is. My spoiler-free review of Season 5B of Lucifer. You can find it over on Netflix now. So, how are things in the coffee household this week? It's been a weird one, actually. I've been doing quite well at staying busy. I enjoyed an extra long weekend and discovered that while I never thought SAD was an influence on my life, it appears that with the sunshine came a small lift in mood, which I'm really happy about. Last week in the UK, we enjoyed an extra day off, and with that came the usual family event. For the first time ever, I gathered the courage up and said no. Granted, I had already made plans that would keep me busy for the day, but that didn't stop the guilt, unfortunately. I am not sure where this fear of saying no comes from. It affects every single part of my life, to be fair. If somebody at work says, oh, can you do this thing, even though I know it's going to take me ages, I will still say yes, because I'm scared of the word no. I really need to get over it. No doubt I will find the origins of my fear of no somewhere in something my mum has said to me. A few years ago, my mum and my sister had a massive falling out over Christmas. I think it was something to do with the children and a disagreement, but to be honest, I don't remember and to be, to be fair, I probably don't care either. However, this led to my mum deciding that she was not under any circumstances going to be at my sister's for the Christmas holidays. Of course, at some point in a, at a later date, she changed her mind and it all went smoothly anyway, or as smoothly as a family Christmas can go. I still don't know what it's about, but needless to say, I was getting the brunt of her frustration when she called me pretty much every day to tell me all about it. In some moment of solidarity, or perhaps the idea of enjoying tomato soup and a bacon sandwich for Christmas dinner was really appealing, I told her that I wouldn't go either, which started a whole different conversation, during which I was the target of her ire. Lucky me! If you say no, they'll never ask you again, and then you'll be alone when I'm gone. Okay, so what is the subject for this week? Yet again, this week, I felt excluded from something, and not because I chose to be, so my saying no had no bearing on it. At some point last season, I mentioned how my family managed to make me feel isolated and unimportant once we were allowed to join Bubbles with friends and family last year. A few weeks ago, my sister injured her leg, and since that point, she has been at home. My mum felt the need, when she was talking about this weekend, to highlight that my sister was feeling lonely and alone as she wasn't able to go to work. And this reminded me of seven weeks post-op I experienced when I saw no one for days at a time, kind of like now, really. My sister worked in a building five minutes from my home and came to see me maybe once in that entire seven weeks. 
I was battling a post-operative infection, was unable to go to work and felt so ill that I couldn't even go up and down the stairs in my building. Where was this she's lonely and alone then? Is it different because it's my sister? Perhaps I am suffering from an inferiority complex, but I need to stop focusing on these things that, in the grand scheme of things that is life, don't matter. Tomorrow, I'm going on a spa day with the women in my family, and I'm dreading it. The idea that I'm going to be exposing myself in a swimming costume to people who judge me and find me lacking when it comes to my appearance is enough to make me want to fake a virus or something. I bet you don't, nobody would be saying that, oh, but she's alone. Again, I need to focus on the bigger picture. A few deep breaths, a moment or ten of meditation, and hopefully I will start to actually believe it. If you, like me, struggle to find the positives in situations that stress you out, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Focus on the bits of it that you will enjoy. For me, that will be the 90-minute hot stone massage, and when you're experiencing the things that make you feel uncomfortable, close your eyes for a moment. It's not unreasonable to believe that you aren't the only one who feels insecure, uncomfortable, out of your depth. No, I'm not saying start talking about your feelings if you're in a place where you don't feel right. But the knowledge that even the most powerful and beautiful people in the world have things that make them feel insecure should make, well, I wouldn't say should, but might go some way to helping you realise you aren't alone, even if you are lonely. If you don't feel like you can talk to the people you're with, call a friend, call that one person who will listen. So that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed the listen and I'll be back next week with more. Don't forget, the bookshop will be open again on Monday with my next review. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family? And please post a review over on Podchaser. I really love reading what you have to say. You can follow me on Twitter at need underscore three underscore mugs or over on Instagram at notbeforecoffeepodcast. Well, I need another cup of coffee as I definitely haven't had enough. So I'm going to go and put the kettle on. Until next time, this is me saying farewell. <laughs>